TED Audio Collective. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Have you ever gotten in trouble for speaking English? Uh, or, you know, I guess that would maybe apply more for, you know, using a lot of slang or something. You know, I definitely, like, people have come up to me and be like, yeah, let's preserve the Icelandic. Let's only use Icelandic here. What you're hearing is a group of teens in Reykjavik, Iceland. Do you feel like you can lose the slang? Do you feel like you can carry on for a whole day where you just speak perfect Icelandic? No. No. <laughs> to be honest, no. I probably could if I like was like thinking, no, I can't use English, I can't use English, I can't use slings, like through the whole day. And I was just like, okay, I have to use Icelandic, Icelandic, Icelandic. I'm Salim Rushamwala, and this is Far Flung. Every episode looks at a different place and the ideas that flow from it. And this week we take you to Iceland, a very beautiful country with a very small population and their own 1,200-year-old language, a language that's struggling to hold on in an increasingly connected global world. The tension for Icelanders is how to keep their culture alive while still embracing change. How would you describe Iceland to someone who has never been there before? Well, Iceland is gorgeous volcanic island in the North Atlantic Ocean. That's our local producer, Anna Marcible Clausen. She's from Reykjavik herself and the head of podcasting at RUV, Iceland's equivalent of the BBC. We have mild winters and mild summers as well. In the summer, that's the best time because then everything is filled with light 24 hours a day and it's just gorgeous when the skies are pink and Everything just feels a little bit more romantic somehow. Hmm. Another important thing to know about Iceland is that culturally, it's the biggest village you will ever visit. Everybody knows everybody. We feel very close. You know, we feel like a little family. How has Icelandic changed over time, the language itself? So the, the best way that I can think of explaining that is... But when my parents used a word that I didn't understand in Icelandic when I was a kid, they would find a synonym in Icelandic to explain it to me. Hmm. And now, if I want to explain an Icelandic word to a teenager or preteen or even kids, the fastest way to do it is not to use an Icelandic synonym because then I actually might have to explain that as well, but to use an English word. That's just how much it's changed over her lifetime. But Anna introduced us to someone who could take us through how the language has been changing across generations for centuries. Erika Rugmanson, professor emeritus of the Icelandic language at the University of Iceland. Icelandic comes from Old Norse, the, the 
common language that was spoken in Iceland and Norway and the Faroe Islands. And if you go further back, it was a common language in, in all the Scandinavian countries. And uh, Icelandic uh, has changed uh, much less than, than the other languages. The, the phonology has changed a lot. Phonology, that's the way a language sounds. But we, we don't notice that because we, obviously we do not have any recordings from old Icelandics. We only have written texts. And the spelling is conservative. So the spelling is more or less the same as it was 800 years ago. I ask a possibly ignorant question. Yeah. How do you know when the sounds in a language have changed in times before recorded audio? In the case of Icelandic, we have a unique piece of text. It's called the, the first grammatical treatise. It, it is from the 12th century. It's a detailed description of the sound system of ah, okay. a language. And the author, is, his name is not known. He's just called the first grammarian. He describes the individual sounds of the language by referring to the position of the, the tongue and the lips and so on. Basically, someone described all the mouth shapes of how people talked in Iceland. And we can recreate those shapes and know that the sounds were very different. We also can compare it to related languages like the other Scandinavian languages. Since reading modern Icelandic is so similar to reading 800-year-old Icelandic, it lets you tap straight into history. But life in Iceland isn't what it was 800 years ago. For one, it's got more people. It's grown a lot in the last few years with more immigration and, well, yeah, well, with more immigration. And of course, <laughs> during the summertime especially, but with the tourist boom in general, we have so many more people here. Before COVID in 2019, Iceland had nearly 2 million visitors coming through which is wild for an infrastructure that usually has to deal with just 370,000 people. Yeah, so language, you know, there's multiple things that have affected Icelandic, the Icelandic language. It's, of course, mostly the internet. But mm. also the fact that we're not as homogenous anymore. We're not just, you know, people who were born here and grew up here. But I think, you know, we often talk about how immigration is affecting Icelandic and that's definitely sometimes comes from a place that's somewhat racist. But mm. tourism has affected Icelandic even more. Because now businesses have an interest in having, you know, their signs in English. The restaurants have menus in English. Some businesses that, you know, had Icelandic names before have changed them to English names and so on and so on. In a way, everyone understands it's more like laziness. That's Armin Jakobsen, a professor of medieval literature at the University of Iceland and the chairman of the Language Planning Commission. Like people mm. are trying to cut costs by only having an English menu. But I think the Icelanders are, as a rule, very pro-Icelandic. But there's a foreign workforce and the employers are reluctant to spend any energy or time or money teaching them Icelandic. Sometimes it's easier to teach them a few phrases in English. 
So this is another issue we face. That it's I think it's not exactly an attitude problem. It's more like an energy problem. People cannot really make the effort for Icelandic. I guess they're not scared enough. What does that mean? They're not scared enough. It's obvious that this is not a large population. But to Icelanders themselves, it's not as obvious. Like we are the center of our own universe. And this is a, a problem for business because like it's worth the effort to translate everything for a nation of 10 million or 20 million or 30 million. But for only 370,000 people, that's not always commercially viable. So we need to spend far more energy trying to convince people that it's worth doing than other languages would. And this is mostly what we're up against. Just we are too few. So interesting thinking of it as a market problem in yeah. a way or a market like it, it being a profit incentive challenge yeah. for folks. But money rules the world, you know, that that's mm. that's it. You know, we may not like it, but money changes everything in all situations. And this is something the Icelandic Language Commission is up against. For folks who don't know what the commission does, how would you describe that to people? Well, hardly anyone knows what we do, but <laughs> we are mostly helping with policy. So it's a very mm. tiny institution. We try to identify the dangers facing the Icelandic language and make a report mm. every year. And these reports have been used by the government to make language policy. And we have a, a symposium once a year. And we sometimes write strongly worded letters to organizations if we feel they have done something bad in regards to the Icelandic language. In the battle to save Icelandic, these are pretty amiable shots. Strongly worded letters are sent when people should have used Icelandic instead of English or the airport, when the signs in English are in a larger font than Icelandic. They'll point that out and request a change. Some people make the changes, some don't. They also get positive reinforcement going with kind letters. For example, they wrote to a sports team because they used the Icelandic first names on the back of their shirts instead of their last names. Iceland has a different naming system than most Western languages. Icelanders are known by their first names. So they sent a nice note to say, hey, you're doing things right. What other committees do I need to know about to get the sense of the committee's influence on language in, in Iceland? So then there's the language planning department, or Málrektarsvið Árna Stopnunar, which more literally translates to the language growing department, which is nice, you know, like you would grow plants, you grow the language. And so the language planning department maintains the Icelandic dictionary, and guides the public when it comes to the making of new words and how they are used. And they actually have a website where the public can send in ideas for new words. But even with a stream of new words in Icelandic, there's still tension around language and how it's used. So the older generations tend to get very caught up in the slang that the older generations don't understand. And therefore think is stupid, right? <laughs> that sounds not too different than what might happen in other countries. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, you know, that's just like a general thing that happens everywhere. The older generations 
don't understand the younger generations and, you know, vice versa to some extent. But what happens in Iceland that might be a little bit different is that the younger generations aren't as good at grammar as the older generations. And older generations get very hung up on it and have for decades. But now there's a big movement where people are really trying to get each other to stop focusing (laughs) so much on how kids use the language and just be happy that they're using it at all. Edikor, our Icelandic language professor, he emphasized that it shouldn't feel like a war against the way young people are talking. I mean, it's, of course, good for young people to learn English. It's, it's important. I have always emphasized that English is not our enemy. Young yeah. people, they are online 24-7, so to speak, and they're directly connected to the English-speaking world. In Icelandic TV, all foreign programs are either dubbed in Icelandic or subtitled. But young people do not watch linear TV. They watch uh, Netflix, where many programs are not subtitled in Icelandic, or uh, they watch something on on YouTube or whatever. So they're much, much more exposed to English than we used to be some decades ago. What he's talking about here is something called digital minoritization. So even if children go to school and they speak Icelandic there and they speak Icelandic to their parents and so on, but they spend uh, a lot of their time in the digital domain where Icelandic is not the main language. Think about how much language input you get from your phone in a given day. I mean, probably including me talking right now and talk back chatter from Siri and Alexa and Google Assistant. There's a startup in Iceland that does AI with natural language processing that's trying to tackle that side of things. But for now, English is everywhere digital. So remember those teens we heard at the beginning of the episode? They, like most young people in Iceland, live this every day. That's after the break. Do you remember when you first realized English existed? To be honest, I don't really remember it much because I feel like it's just always been in my life, you know. My name is Anna. I am turning 16 and I am from Iceland. I'm also like half from Burkina Faso. (laughs) (laughs) But like I've, I've grown up here all my life. I learned English from watching YouTube videos mostly and like social media because everything is in English there. My name is Vala, I'm turning 19, and I'm from Nigeria, but I got adopted into Iceland when I was 10 months old. When I was growing up, my parents spoke English to me. Even though they spoke Amharic to each other, they spoke English to me. My name is Johanna, and I'm going to be 18 this May, and my parents are from Ethiopia, but I was born in Iceland, so I have Ethiopian origin. Yeah, I always watched Cartoon Network when I was little. I almost always watched U.S. children shows and like that. It's funny. I learned English from Cartoon Network and from reading Harry Potter. Because mm. they didn't come out quickly enough in Icelandic, you oh. know. <laughs> so I just sat there with my dictionary and my oh. Harry Potter book in English. And, and then I'd have to ask, Mom, what are muggles? What's <laughs> <laughs> How did you find Anna, Johanna, and Vala? How did you find them? How did you connect with them? How did the conversation start? 
So I had interviewed Anna before because she's uh, she uses TikTok. And so I was researching TikTok this one time and spoke to her and I found her to be... Did you find her via TikTok? Yeah, yeah. Somebody pointed her out Amazing. to me. Amazing. Everyone yeah. finds everyone via TikTok now. Right. What a world. It's, of course, a world their generation has grown up in. And yeah, language-wise, it's a world that is very weighted. So how much time do you spend online in English versus Icelandic? Wait, do you mean in like Snapchat groups and talking to my friends? No, or? aren't you talking about like just the world, like social media and like that what or like what you're reading in the news and like that? Yeah, all of it. Yeah, like 100% English. Yeah. So often you're just going to get a lot more information if you find it in English than in Icelandic. It's so limited if you search it in Icelandic. You can barely find anything. So when do you use Icelandic versus English? Do you ever speak English just between yourselves or with your friends or I usually just speak Icelandic with my friends. I use a lot of English slang so that it definitely incorporates into how I speak with my friends. But then also I work at a restaurant where a lot of people are English and a lot of tourists are coming. So I also speak a lot of English there. So like my mind I sometimes think in Icelandic and I sometimes think in English. It's it's kind of weird. It it sometimes it just comes out a big blur when I'm speaking because I'm thinking in one language and speaking in another. It's it gets kind of confusing sometimes. Yeah, for me it's like sometimes when I don't know the Icelandic like I know something in English and know the words in English but I can't remember the Icelandic word. I write it in Google Translate in English and then find the Icelandic word. Most kids now use like TikTok slang, which is actually like African American vernacular English. When we're saying something, we find it funny. We might use that slang instead of like speaking Icelandic, because that makes more sense in a way. Even just those words, African American vernacular, which all of you pronounce beautifully and you say and you use, how would you translate African American vernacular <laughs> into uh, Icelandic? Afrisk, Amerisk, I don't even know. Vernacular. I don't even know the Icelandic word no. for vernacular. No. So you know what the words mean, but you can't find similar words in Icelandic. Mm-hmm. I think it's because our language is so new, so we don't have words for everything that need to have words for. It's quite old, actually. It's like one of the oldest, oldest languages. Okay, I take back what I said. But we, just, we don't have any many new words. Yeah. Also, Icelanders like to have their language just like stick to the old rules and like that they don't like to switch mm. up and take other words inside the language because it will ruin the beautiful Icelandic language mm. and like that. Yeah. So they're kind of strict on their rules. People think of slang and young language users, but obviously slang as a concept isn't new. Like seening, seen. It's like leaving somebody just like when you open their message and... Leave them on red. Yeah, that's called seena in Icelandic. Well, not in Icelandic. No, but, well, no, 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 it's Icelandic because we changed it, you know. It was like so fit Icelandic. Yeah. <laughs> nice word. <laughs> but um, yeah, I absolutely think that we use more slang than the older generations, and I also think that they don't often understand what we mean. Like I, I learned that the word hypeth 
is actually an old Icelandic word because I thought like hype was just an English word for having fun and being pumped. But then I was like, it means like something was really close, like something hap- like it's really close to happening. I'm yeah. hype back, I get it. Barely. Yeah, barely. I was like, yeah, barely a chance it'll happen. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I thought that was an English word. I didn't even know that's an Icelandic mm-hmm. word. There's an experience I think a lot of people have had when speaking languages. It's one where you can feel more comfortable with certain words or phrases when not speaking in your native tongue. Take the word sexy, for example. Yeah. Yeah, I think like no one says kin fuck of it. It's it sounds it sounds so Old. gross. Like, oh you're so kin fuck of it. Yeah. I think sexy is a lot better. Yeah, than also kin fuck of it. Like, also, like when someone like uh, cute instead of like, like Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also use cute a lot more than sight, sight or sighter. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he's really cute. Because I think it's more I think it's more chill to say Yeah, he's cute. Rather than say, "Oh, han er I feel like it's more just like, "Yeah, you're, you're fine. You're good looking." But when I say "thurtsaiter," I feel like there's more to it. I don't know. I don't know why. I feel like it's when sometimes when I use English words, I feel like it's more laid back. Also, like "sorry," I don't feel like that's the same as saying "firigavde." Mm. Yeah, sorry is just like when you bump into a person and you're like, "Oh, sorry." Mm-hmm. Firigavde is like. Like I'm, I'm genuinely sorry yeah, for what I'm, I did. Like, I'm apologizing to you. Mm-hmm. So the language creates a distance because it's Icelandic is more serious and English is more laid back. Yeah, yeah. It's maybe because you know we watch so much like English media, English TV shows, so we associate it with more like chill, laid back, just having fun instead of like seriousness when we're reading Icelandic news or something like that. So sometimes a word for whatever mix of media and cultural influences might be at play just feels better in one language than another. But there's also moments when the teenagers Anna spoke to think the Icelandic words they need just aren't there. I remember when we were doing like a post the other day and it was about cultural appropriation. When we were translating it to English from Icelandic and the Icelandic word is menningar now. So if you put it in like Google Translate, or if you just read the word and translate it, it will be cultural studies. Yeah, that's mm. what I that came from. Yeah, came from me, and I was like, what? what and then I was like, mean? did you go over it before you like <laughs> oh, before yeah. you sent it? Because cultural studies is not the same word, you know. So it was just like a funny moment because you're maybe just writing fast, and it will come like cultural studies because you just say many got now. Yeah. When you're the using ba- Google Translate, it'll come many got now. It's just like many words that are English, and the English word has like POC, people of color. We don't have that word. Like for like the black experience, many words that the English words has, we don't have words for that. Huh? Like people of color, we don't kind of have a word like leta. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have it. If we if you translate leta, it will translate to colored, which is like not the best way to describe people of color today. So yeah, it's just outdated, and we don't really have a word to describe people of color in Icelandic, mm. right? So it's not so that you're not just taking exclusively like black people or Hispanic people. <laughs> There's no like word that ha- that can that ha- says non-white people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have words, but they're terrible. Yeah. 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 yeah that also. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, like all the old words that were used to describe like black people are not okay anymore. And you can't say them. And then they're like, like we don't, we have 
like black, just like svartur. No, we have so many words to describe black people in Icelandic, but then we have like one word to describe a white person almost. But it's interesting too because you know we have we have a committee that makes up new words when there are new words in English or new technology or something that we need to translate into Icelandic. Mm-hmm. And as the media, we run into a lot of problems with what word are we supposed to use for people of color? And what word are we even use, supposed to use for Hispanic people or black mm-hmm. people? And this is something that the that that committee could decide on. It could say, hey, this is the good word for that. These two words, they're great. Except there are no people of color. Yeah, yeah. that's what I think. <laughs> they would be like horrible if they choose the word that's like really outdated. And they would be like, yeah, that's the word we're going to use for you. And everybody that's like of color would be like, mm, you can't use that anymore. Nah. And it's also like, like sometimes you just use this like Hörenstöcker, but that doesn't, like people of color can come in like any shades. They aren't yeah. always like dark skin, but sometimes might be light skin. Yeah. So how would you say Icelandic people think of English? So for example, French is the language of love. Danish is the language of potatoes. Yeah, <laughs> Icelandic is the tough language. But yeah. what is English? How do you think of English? Uh, I think it depends on the age group of the people you'll ask. Like if it's old people, they'll be like, oh, the language that's ruining Icelandic <laughs> and it total, it's totally ruining the youth of this beautiful country that we live in. And then it's like young people, they'll be just like, oh, the you know language of media. It's just a matter of time until we use more English and... I think that we'll start using much more English in Iceland For after like 20 years or something. So I think it just depends on who you ask. Which language do you prefer, English or Icelandic? I think it depends on the situation. Like when I'm speaking to old people and trying to trying to be extremely proper, I will speak Icelandic and don't have any slangs. And I'll speak old Icelandic, like old the way they they speak. But when I'm speaking to like kids, I think I think like... Like when I was doing youth center, I spoke a lot. Like I used slang because the kids understood slang. They might not understand like the old words because we don't use them anymore. Do you feel like you code switch? Yeah, kind of. I mean, uh, that must be a type of code switching, right? When you use a different language for speaking to different age groups. Yeah, especially like when old people like start talking to me in English, then I switch to extremely proper Icelandic. I don't mess up. I'm like, I'm going to show you that I speak Icelandic. <laughs> but if you were to ask someone on a date, which language would you do it in? I would always do it in English because I can't take myself seriously enough to be like, Viltu fara með mér? <laughs> I just always feel like I'm less formal when I speak English and because I don't take myself too seriously most of the time. That's why I use so much slang. So... Yeah, I would. I would probably. I've actually. I don't think I've never asked someone on a date. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest, but if I get asked, it's usually it's usually some, at least one word in English. I think I would never say like the Icelandic word for date, which is stepnamot, because it would be like, it would be so formal. I think that the person would say no. Yeah, <laughs> literally. It if would somebody be like, would Yo. ask me, if somebody would ask me, will the far stepnamot, I would be like. Are you okay? No. <laughs> I can't help but imagine the brutal pain of carefully asking someone out in your national language and the response being, Are you okay? 
But for Johanna, it would be so unusual that it would just feel off. Okay, so people might have a preference for certain phrases and certain situations to be in English, but what does or doesn't that say about the future of Icelandic? Do you think it's important for Iceland to preserve its language and create new Icelandic words, or should Iceland adapt to the times? So this is... uh, I've actually asked myself this question quite a few times. I definitely think we should preserve Icelandic, but I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, using English slang. It doesn't mean that it's going to affect the whole language, you know. There's nothing wrong with saying peilade or make our sense. It's not going to kill anyone. Like, you can adapt to the times, but still speak the language. I think that uh, you have to be open for changing the language, Mm. because so many different like experiences and like so many different groups of people don't have a word for them in our language like lgbtq people and like non-binary people they're trying to create new words to describe the experiences that people have and so it's so important to allow people to be like who they are and make a word for them or mm-hmm. find a word so they can describe it. So don't them. feel excluded yeah. from the language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also think that that applies to like people of color. You like you have to you know allow the language to ch- change to give groups of people that have been like discriminated against a word to describe them that isn't derogatory. I can imagine that it's actually pretty hard for a population so much smaller than most nations to come up with nuanced words for topics that, in a lot of cases, might just be entering the national conversation. And when the word's not there yet in Icelandic, it's there floating close at hand in the digital ether, in English. Here's Erikor on some of what needs to be addressed moving forward. Difficult to say. I mean, uh, I think it's uh, this national language technology program, I think it's very important for uh, several reasons. One is that it enables us to use Icelandic in communicating with Siri and Alexa and all kinds of equipment. And uh, another thing is that it might change the attitude of young people. Research has shown that the attitudes of young people towards their mother tongue is the main factor with respect to the vitality of the language. If young people have negative attitudes towards their mother tongue, the language is doomed. If we cannot make young people care about their language and want to use it in all domains, the language will die sooner or later. You're touching on something that's really intriguing to me. When, when you think about the survival of Icelandic, you're bringing up as one of the key things that it depends on these young folks speaking it, wanting to use it, or as you point out, having a positive attitude towards it. Mm-hmm. I'm always curious, I think of the metaphor of, of, you know, some people say a carrot and a stick, or with educational media, for example, I often think of like, how do you make this not be the broccoli, the, the vegetable that the kid has to have, but doesn't really feel excited to, to have, mm-hmm. you know? Sorry if you love broccoli. 
Yeah, a few years ago, we asked young people, what comes to mind when I mention Icelandic and what comes to yeah. mind when I mention English? Hmm. And when we mentioned Icelandic, they said, oh, I think of something obligatory and I think hmm. of corrections, wrong usage and, and, and so on. But when we mention English, they think of uh, travel and entertainment and, and so on. I think we have to change how we teach Icelandic in schools. We should not focus on grammar and correcting the usage of Icelandic and so on. We, we have, to, have to make this more interesting and more exciting for them. I think we need to allow children to play with language. We're always telling young people how they should speak. And we're not listening to how they want to speak. It's always the grown-ups that decide. Trying to stop all change, well, that would be a fool's mission and massively inconvenient. But maybe keeping Icelandic around starts with just recognizing how amazing it is that it's made it this far. I'm always trying to tell people that we, we must not forget that it is, in fact, a miracle that uh, a language community with only 370,000 speakers mm. has its own language that is used in, in all domains. And if we want it to remain that way, we must do something about it. We must spend more, more time and money teaching Icelandic to immigrants. We must spend more money on language technology. But the most important thing is positive attitude towards the language. Anna said that as such a small community, rather than think in terms of fighting off external languages or cultures, they should lean into how those external connections interact with their own language and culture. It'd be easy to assume that English is just sort of steamrolling Icelandic out of the culture. But that would be a really limited view. Are you proud that you speak Icelandic? Yeah, I think it's I think it's really cool that I know this tiny language that everybody thinks it's is hard to learn, which it is. I mean, I've I've lived here all my life and I still don't I'm not a pro Icelandic. I don't know how to fatbeya conjugate. I don't know how to conjugate in every word in the world, you know. <laughs> yeah. I think it's so funny because you're like almost a part of an exclusive club. You're mm -hmm. like, I am one of like maybe top like 400,000 that knows this language. Yeah. Far Flung is produced by Eric Newsom and Jesse Baker of Magnificent Noise for TED. Our local producer for this episode is Anna Marcibil Klausen. Our production staff includes Sabrina Farhi, Elise Blenarhasse, Huete Gitana, Ben Ben Chang, Sammy Case, Jimmy Gutierrez, and Michelle Quint. With the guidance of Roxanne Highlash and Colin Helms. Our fact checkers are Nicole Bodie and Paul Durbin. Ad stories are produced by Transmitter Media. Our executive producer is Eric Newsom. I'm Salim Rashamwala. So it used to be that when you met Americans, uh, you know, when you were abroad and you met Americans and they learned that you were from Iceland, they would ask, uh, oh, so is it true that Iceland is green and Greenland is icy? 
which is apparently a fact from a movie called The Mighty Ducks 2. So that would be the, the funny only thing, thing is, I remember totally thinking I was cool as a kid for knowing that Iceland's the green one and Greenland's the icy one. I was I was totally that person. <laughs> 